0: You are listening to a podcast from JoetteCalabrese.com, where nationally certified American homeopath, public speaker, and author Joette Calabrese shares her passion for helping families stay healthy through homeopathy and nutrient dense nutrition. Hello, this is Jendi, and I'm here with Joette Calabrese, and today we're going to talk about drugs silencing symptoms and heart conditions. Now. I was a little taken aback from the title that is on here, Joette. Um, using shut up is a little rude, don't you think?
1: Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. But it's an important subject um, given the number of people who take drugs pertaining to especially to the heart. I have a, uh, Let me give you a quote here from the Mayo Clinic um, that, that will kind of open this up. It says that seven out of 10 Americans take prescription drugs. I find that absolutely shocking. And it all starts in what may might surprise might surprise many people to hear that I believe it all starts in the pediatrician's office.
0: I've heard you mention that in the past, you're not very fond of pediatricians and you blame them for a lot of things. Can you tell us why?
1: Yeah, yeah, I blame them for ISIS too. Oh, <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. The problem I have with them is that their paradigm for using an antibiotic for every infection, whether it's um, bacterial or not, um, an analgesic for any pain, ibuprofen to shut up a fever, suppress symptoms that are simply signs of an illness um, instead of the illness itself, that it's a model that needs to be turned on its head. And because in thinking this way, it becomes the training ground for mothers, young mothers and uh, middle-aged mothers. Uh, not to mention that the child has now learned when you're sick, you go to the doctor for a drug. It's early training for compliancy, as far as I'm concerned, in a modern drug lifestyle. You know, my favorite pediatrician, who's unfortunately no longer with us on earth, is Dr. Robert Mendelssohn. and he once said that the key to health is to stay away from doctors. My favorite book of his, and he's written a few of them, was called How to Raise a Healthy Child in Spite of Your Doctor. Um, he says the best way to raise a healthy child is to keep them away from doctors except for emergency care in the case of an accident or an obviously serious illness. And if your child displays symptoms of illness, monitor it closely, but don't seek medical help. Don't seek medical help until there are clear indications that he is, here's the word, seriously ill. So it all starts there. That's the end of his quote. It all starts there. Then add to the chronic bombardment of commercials on TV and women's magazines. You know, Jenny, I can't even look at those magazines anymore because they're fundamentally drug promos with some nice photos of interiors and a few good recipes. So what this has done is culminated into a lifestyle that is so drug-filled that no one considers it unusual to not be taking drugs. And I have to say that the guidelines are constantly changing so that more and more the population come under these guidelines.
0: And I think you have a recent study you can tell us about, right?
1: Yes. There was a study that was just published online. Actually, it was just this past week on Wednesday and by the New England Journal of Medicine. Um, it was published by the American Heart Association, the study itself, and the American College of Cardiology. And what they've done is published new guidelines for what percentage of the population ought to be taking statin drugs. And so it recommends that, believe it or not, almost half of Americans ages 40 to 75 and nearly all men over 70 qualify to consider cholesterol-lowering statin drugs. These new guidelines put less emphasis on cholesterol and more on drug treatment. So what they're doing, in my estimation, is planning to put many people on statin drugs who previously would not have qualified for that. You know, I have a background in marketing and sales. You know, I worked at NBC and I worked at an independent TV station years ago, and I know marketing. I can smell a marketing campaign from miles away. So let me tell you what other doctors who are not in this camp are saying. For example, in the book The Statin Disaster by Dr. Robert Brownstein, he says that statin drugs fail for nearly 99% of those who take them. They neither prevent, nor um, heart attacks, nor have they been shown to show that people live any longer. Can I ask you, what
0: would define a statin drug? What would that mean? Oh, be? yeah, good
1: question. I always assume people know what that means, but they might not. It's the drug that lowers cholesterol. So when your cholesterol is at a certain range, they automatically put you on these drugs.
0: Instead of, saying change your diet and exercise. Yeah,
1: yeah exactly. exactly. Now, they might also give that information, but... I think the message is very clear to people that if they're not going to do that, then they just have to take these drugs. But my contention is that we don't even need to reduce our our cholesterol in many situations. Yeah. So So now they have these new guidelines. Right. And these guidelines are increasing the number of people who were only months ago, you know, before Wednesday, (laughs) before they put this out, they were considered healthy. And now they throw them into a pool of people they now can call patients and buyers. And once you're patient, you're a customer for life. But as I said, this has not been orchestrated since early child, this has been orchestrated since early childhood, when the mom takes the child in for fevers and coughs and tummy aches and rashes. Never expect you know, I always say never expect a disclosure of the dangers of medical procedures from those who use them. You know, Upton Sinclair said it is difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on his not understanding it.
0: Hmm. But you don't have to take drugs for life, right? You're only supposed to take them until you get better.
1: Well, you'd think that was the case, but it's not. Because once you start a drug for a so-called chronic condition, the guideline the doctors are taught by the ubiquitous drug rep is that this is a drug that's used indefinitely. You know, when I talk to people, I, I mean, I, I, we just had a loss in our family. Someone just passed away in my extended family. And I'll be going to uh, the Wake and Funeral this coming week. And I know that we'll be talking about health. And when I ask people uh, when they've been, you know, how long they've been taking their drugs, they're, oh, yeah, 10 years, 12 years. And I always ask them, so are you cured yet? You know, <laughs> really? Isn't the, isn't the idea of taking a medicine to cure, not to keep a, a someone on the conveyor belt for life? But let me go back, if you don't mind, let me go back because these drugs are used for cholesterol and I don't believe cholesterol is a disease. High cholesterol is not a disease, it's simply a marker. And it's a marker for the lipid theory. And I believe the operative word word here is theory. With this new guideline, they're going to increase the population by 56 million people, but only half of the people will be so called protected from heart attacks in the next years. That's 0.89%, less than 1%. We should be absolutely outraged. But anyway, the lipid hypothesis of heart disease has been the darling of the medical establishment for, I don't know, maybe 60 years. Clogged arteries is their sacred diktat. This hypothesis arguably, without scientific merit, often has managed to influence and harm generations of people, in my opinion. In contrast, there's another theory, the myogenic theory of heart disease, and that asserts that heart attacks occur as a result of a cascade of stress-induced conditions in the heart muscle cells themselves. It's not the arteries, is what this theory says. There is indeed compelling evidence to substantiate this therapeutic approach, too. And if there are opposing views on the same condition, oughtn't we know about both of them? And perhaps a third or a fourth or a fifth theory. But as often as the case in medicine, as in most subjects that we find that where there's a big profit behind it, the only view that's considered is one view. So let me propose another consideration. The homeopathic take on this. You know, the homeopathic take on cardiac disease does not speculate on the various functions of the vessels or the tissues, their uptakeability or the extent of their occlusion, et cetera.
0: So, homeopathy doesn't do any speculation at all?
1: Well, it's well established aphorisms in homeopathy. You know, the aphorisms are the rules that that homeopathy follows, and they've been put out before us by Dr. Samuel Hahnemann, the uh, founder, well, I wouldn't call him a discoverer, but the founder of today's homeopathy as we know it, uh, back in the late 1700s in Germany. And he believed that once a disease is suppressed by outside means, Such as a drug that it drives the illness to a deeper state. And that's a basic aphorism. And, you know, he had many aphorisms. This happens to be aphorism 201. I mean, if you ever want to look it up, Dr. Samuel Hahnemann, aphorism 201 in the Organon. It emphasizes the externalization of internal symptoms. See, what we're talking about, the externalization of internal symptoms, are symptoms. The symptom is something that presents on the outside. It's an instinctive reaction when disease is present, which naturally creates less risk to more vital organs that are threatened from the originating disease. In effect, it could be described as an innate response by the body's natural defenses to survive and reduce resulting impact on the internal organs and system. So, we consider one of the main causes of heart disease, for example, we as homeopaths to be a result of suppression or deepening of some less serious illness from the past or even as the present. In other words, illness that originally presented in a less crucial organ is forced into a more vital organ, the heart, less crucial might be, say, the skin, as a direct result of suppression by a drug and other heroic medical measures. So iatrogenic, by the way, is a great term for a disease It means a disease or a condition that is caused by medical mismanagement, and that's exactly what we believe happens. So let me give you an example. Imagine a skin condition, such as acne or eczema. The person wants to fix it, to silence, to shut up the symptoms via drugs such as topical steroid creams or antibiotics or or such. So the illness must either beg to return as soon as the ointment or other suppressive method is halted, but it reappears with symptoms more severe than before, or if not allowed to return, will, and this is the pivotal moment, drive more deeply into a more critical organ. The illness has the opportunity to be freed from the bondage of drugs, but only if it's not suppressed. At this time, if the vital force of the person is capable, it will simply put the pathology right back where it belongs, on the skin, where it started. That's not a serious place. I mean, it might be uncomfortable, might be horribly uncomfortable, but it's not serious. The heart is more, more vital organ. But so if the person is not of great resiliency because of, you know, like inherited factors or overuse of previous suppressing treatments, then the pathology. Will travel to the more crucial organ, and this might include the lungs. You know, even pediatricians recognize that asthma follows eczema, but what they don't recognize is that it's the treatment of the the eczema with the suppressive drugs that then drive it to the lungs. The gut is also a place that is affected, especially after a skin rash has been held back by a drug. Oh, and then of course the heart. So a new illness compensates for the suppression of the old is more serious and it can make it very difficult to eradicate this i want to mention this to folks who have skin conditions particularly eczema and psoriasis etc i just found this website actually a client student told me about it it's called itsan.org i t s a n .org it's a not for profit organization that is designed to help people understand that skin afflictions that have been treated with topical or oral steroids cause an addiction. If you or someone you know has used or is using steroids, check out this site. It is really fascinating. There's a great video on it. And I don't, I will tell you, I don't agree with their solutions to the problem of the topical steroid addiction. But least, at least it's a group of doctors and patients who have accepted that there is a serious problem that needs awareness.
0: So, what does this mean to us and to our listeners?
1: Well, if you go to itsan.itsan.org and watch their short video, everyone, you know, this is really a great a great video. And what it talks about is the resolve to keep your children away from medications for fevers, eczema, allergies, diarrhea, and anything easily treatable with wiser food choices, for example, homeopathic medicines. Or in the case of a normal fever, doing nothing other than leave the small issues alone, leave the stop using drugs, shut up the drug use instead of shutting up the, the symptoms with the drugs. So the goal always is to protect our children from damage that can be thrown into their future. So remember when Nancy Reagan – well, you don't remember Nancy Reagan. Uh, y- yeah. Oh, you Literally. barely remember Nancy. Reagan. <laughs> well, I was in high school when Nancy Reagan was was around, and she said that slogan, "Just say no to drugs," and people made fun of her. But you know, she was right. The resolve is that simple: say no to drugs. Now, she was talking about street drugs, well, but also prescription drugs to a certain degree as well. But just say no. No, thank you. I'm not going there.
0: What about the people that have already taken years' worth of medication?
1: That's a good question, Jenny. Do you know anyone who isn't taking or hasn't taken a drug in the past? <laughs> really? I don't
0: think so, unless it's like an, not even a newborn these days. <laughs>
1: right. That's right. Even newborns come into the world with pitocin, spinal blocks, pain relievers, antibiotics, and such. For, and, and, and that's from a simple so-called natural birth born in the hospital. What if the mothers had a C-section? You know, it's really, it's ubiquitous.
0: So how does that affect the heart conditions?
1: Well, let me give you a story, okay, so to illustrate my point. um, Let's take Arnie, okay? His digestion or, you know, intake of questionable ingredients in his meals have triggered something in him. He's been getting these heart palpitations and pounding and restlessness and apprehension. You know, it could be from the MSG and his egg beaters (laughs) that he has for breakfast or every morning. Or the gluten in corn syrup and corn serpent is lo- he loves bagels, and you know we often blame what we've eaten, and this doesn't mean we shouldn't look at it. But then again, if we put a timeline together, and I've talked about this many times, if he would look back at what happened um, in the past several months or even years, um, but particularly in the last couple, several months, because now this is new for him, he might recall that he took antibiotics just a few months previous and his habit, you know, he had this habit of sinus infections. And ever since, I don't mean to call it a habit, but he had these sinus infections that were repetitive. And ever since he suffered from, after the sinus infections, he suffered from indigestion and bloating. So if you were to put it together, you might think, well, it's the sinus infections problem. So that more fault. It means that, you know, his body, something's wrong with his body. But of course, you know, I'm going at a different uh, path right now. A few months ago, Arnie woke up at three in the morning with pain in his chest. His heart was racing and in a panic, and he, it scared the bagels right out of him because <laughs> you know, he had diarrhea. A visit to his doctor and days off from work from all the tests revealed that Arnie was suffering from angina. Well, you know, to be honest, he already knew that, except he called it pain in his heart. So, but they, you know, they got to give this 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 uh, uh, medical term. Along with Arnie's angina, also came a sense of urgency, and overwhelming anxiety, and racing thoughts, and um, and they were during his, his all of this time. He had these painful heart spells. He often, uh, you know, he also found himself pacing the room with angst and couldn't quiet his mind. But when he visited the cardiologist, no questions with the intent of shedding light on such information were posed. His doc simply offered tests that revealed, of course, a need for a prescription. You know, Because folks might think of the meds they took as a culprit, but when they asked their doctor if the meds could be the culprit uh, or be the source of the problem, the doctor usually says, no, that's not possible. Doctors believe in their paradigms. They're not going to tell you what they gave you is going to cause a problem. So yeah.
0: <laughs> sounds like maybe he's just prescription deficient.
1: Yeah, I know that's I think the way the modern medicine medical world looks at it. So that, you know that's well said Jenny, yeah, a prescription deficient. So in in the end the answer he received went something like this, you're not you're not young anymore Arnie. No more steaks for you Arnie. No more eggs. You can ta- you we have to take these pills. Oh, and for how long? Yes, yes, Arnie for the rest of your life.
0: So, what would you prescribe for him using homeopathy?
1: Well, the considerations of his cardiac reactions to MSG would necessitate the remedy Arsenicum album 30. Now, we don't know that that's for sure that it was MSG, but that's certainly something to think about. You know, it has a reputation for being able to remove the immediate poisoning effects of such additives it would not be taken. You don't take our Senecum album 30, however, unless there are clear indications that it is the reason for the influence of, you know, it's influenced this problem. In other words, this is not a time for speculation. So if you're looking to antidote the effects of MSG, let's say it wasn't from his egg beaters, even though he'd been eating them for a long time, Senecum album 30 would be the remedy to uh, bring down the palpitations, pounding, apprehension, and restlessness. So it has the ability to allay fears and panic and to abort the potential of ensuing cardiac pathology. So we're not treating symptoms here. We're not just getting rid of the problems that he, that are presenting. We're rooting it out. And would he still need to stop eating the egg beaters? Well, I would do that if I were Arnie, if he thought that was the cause, certainly. Just to to calm things down a bit. I mean, egg beaters, really? Who should nobody should be eating egg beaters. So I (laughs) think he should be eating eggs. True. (laughs) You know, that's the way they were intended to be eaten—the whole egg. So eventually, Arnie snapped to his senses and he realized that he was probably relying on drugs more often than was prudent. So he consulted with a homeopath, and the homeopath told him to take the nitroglycerin that the doctor had ordered for a while longer but to follow it with a specific homeopathic medicine within a few minutes of each episode. So and that, that would likely take care of the racing heart and his anxiety.
0: So this is where the like cures like in the homeopathic philosophy? Yes,
1: yes, this is where it comes in. So as its paradigm, what better remedy choice than something that in its gross form causes symptoms such as what Arnie was suffering? So we might also use the remedy, the homeopathic remedy that might be prepared from coffee, because that's exactly what he was experiencing—that raciness and st- stepped-up heart, etc. So he took the remedy, Coffea Cruda 200. That's homeopathic coffee that's made from originally from coffee. And after a few nights of taking Coffea Cruda, Arnie was able to calm down, and he started to return to his, you know sense of himself again. The remedy helped him minimize the need to use the nitroglycerin. This is what his homeopath had counted on, of course. But Arnie didn't listen to his homeopath. The next time he experienced that horrible anguish and jumping heart with pain, he skipped the drug altogether, the nitroglycerin, and instead only took coffea to 200. To his relief again, he not only came down from that anxiety, but the pain and pounding heart vanished in about the same amount of time as was as he would have um, experienced with the use of the drug.
0: So does that mean he could kind of wean himself off the nitroglycerin?
1: Well, you know, no homeopath in the U.S. is willing to overstep in a situation like this. So the homeopath was cautious, and she's told Arnie that she would like him to meet with this cardiologist regaining this decision. But Arnie didn't do that. Arnie's got this kind of personality that he just does what he wants to do, which is actually very good in many ways. So after using coffea cruda after the span of about two weeks, his confidence completely returned. And we reported that now he's, he keeps the nitroglycerin in his medicine cabinet instead of his hip pocket. You know, and just as homeopathy is intended to work, he requires coffea cruda less and less because his problem is resolving. It's happening fewer and fewer times. And here's the most important part about homeopathy, as far as I'm concerned, is that we view symptoms as signs, signs that there's something wrong. And if the signs are not there, then the disease isn't either. So, as an aside, I'd like to be clear that because homeopaths no longer have their hospitals in North America nor the climate within which to practice freely, I too would not recommend to clients that they eliminate a drug without the oversight of a medical doctor. Removal of any prescription medication is never a decision to be taken lightly, especially blood pressure drugs, etc. But you have to consider the possibility of a boomerang effect when you do this, If when you do get off of the drug with the guidance, even of the doctor, and even if it's done slowly and judiciously. Remember, the body has habituated and compensated for with these drugs, and remission should be carefully monitored if if, if possible.
0: So did Arnie just stop the drugs? Is he still taking the Yeah, well, he no
1: longer takes either one. He doesn't take the, 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 the coffea, cruda and he doesn't take the nitroglycerin. Now, I also want to say here that um, if this were a more serious condition other than simply palpitations and some angina, this is not the answer. This is the answer for Arnie, and that's why I'm giving a specific example. But the homeopathic remedies do something most people don't even expect. They cure the condition so that even the homeopathic remedy is no longer needed. That's the best part.
0: So you are saying that homeopathy cures all diseases?
1: Well, you know, I work with Drs. Banerjee in Calcutta and Dr. Prasanta Banerjee once told me that homeopathy has the ability to cure all diseases, but it may not cure all people with diseases. Hmm.
0: What about the disease like AIDS or cancer?
1: yes even those and more i've actually seen it in calcutta but some people depending on the amount of drugs they've taken the depth and breadth of their involvement to such methods their age their history the inherited taint how late they come to homeopathy you know all of those will influence the outcome and whether or not this person can find a cure but even now after being a homeopath full time for over 20 plus years and having studied and taught it for 29 years I'm still amazed, even flabbergasted, by what this medicine is capable of accomplishing. You know, I tell people regularly, you must allow the medicines to act. You know, it often takes time with little steps forward and perhaps a small one back again. Can
0: you tell us more about a homeopathic medicine that would help a cardiac condition?
1: Yes. Yes, let me give you an example of one that I taught about a few years ago. Several years ago, for some reason, I received a rash of desperate phone calls, and they were all from women, and they were all about forty-five years old. And I don't know why it happened like that, but it just happened that way. And they were complaining of overwhelming, you know, anguish and anxiety, and their heart was quickened, and their heart was thumping, and and they were having atrial fibrillation occasionally. None had been asked by their family practitioners what they had eaten just before the cardiac incident. And I think it's important that we ask those questions. None were asked whether they regularly drank coffee or how much. None were asked whether chocolate, especially, a lot of sugar, you know, MSG-laden foods, even wheat or other such foods were daily, fair, or consumed prior to their cardiac palpitations, you know, their, their incidences. So the Mayo Clinic, I just want to uh, include this little statement, says that palpitations can be frightening, but they are not always dangerous. And that's something to remember. Now, obviously, we don't want to be foolish about this, but if you start looking at, okay, they're not always dangerous, and what did I just eat, it's really important to, to break it down. So, a lot of women who have this are certain they're going to die of a heart attack when this happens. And, and especially at that age, 45 years old, I see this happening more and more and I believe it's the entering into menopause. So these are, um, you know, they run to the ER where they submit to a battery of tests and they're exhausted and frightened and then they whimper home with a prescription and they, in which that suppresses all of their symptoms.
0: So these are pretty interesting. I'm sure you have another example you could share about shutting up symptoms.
1: Yes, yes. So I also want to mention that these calls that I started to get, a couple of them were women who had just eaten a lot of chocolate. One of them was um, – well, actually two of them were, uh, they had just eaten. It was Halloween. It was after Halloween. And one of them, when her kids went off to school, just went into – <laughs> got into the chocolate that they don't normally eat that much of. And uh, my guess is, you know, when it's Halloween candy, I'm sure there's MSG and all kinds of other kinds. (laughs) You would think that
0: would raise a red flag. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But you know what? It gets so scary for people that they just can't, they can't think straight. And another time was the same situation. This woman had eaten those chocolates with them that that are coated in, it's coffee beans coated with chocolate. And she was, her heart was racing. Um, in both those cases, I might add, uh, I used, um, specifically, I used Nuxvamica. I told them to use Nuxvamica 30 or 200. And, you, and why doesn't the doctor ask? I know. They don't think about it because, there's, because they're, it's not about rooting out the illness. It's not about uprooting and getting rid of and getting to the bottom of things. It's about simply here's the prescription next, next yeah. person. So let me tell you about Jane. Okay. It's another person. So, Jane was an empty nester and she didn't like to speak about it too much. She suffered silently. She felt as though she was probably, you know, overreacting, but she was secretly weeping a lot. She would get into the bathtub nightly, night after night after night, and she would just weep. Um, To everyone else, you know, it appeared that she had strolled seamlessly back into her previous world. You know, she was a real estate agent, but it helped to get her mind off the fact that her last. Baby, who now 21 years old, was out of the house. And after raising four kids, the change required, you know, as usual, a significant shift in her nature. I know the feeling. I know that it's an awful feeling. It feels some, you know, when they say empty nester, the real operative word is empty. It's a horribly empty feeling when your last child leaves. But she would, you know, get into the bathtub to kind of calm her nerves, and she would whisper herself while soaking in the tub, "I used to be a mom, and now I'm a real estate agent." I hate this." So it was right about this time that not only did her daughter leave, but her menses did too. Isn't that unfortunate that everything happens at once? So in its place of her menses came sleepless nights, heart pain, anxiety, palpitations, and even a little vertigo. But. Her brother-in-law was from England, and he was a homeopathic physician there. England has many homeopathic physicians, very common. So she contacted him, and instead of drugs to – this is what he said. Instead of drugs to restrain the warning signals – did you hear that, folks? Again, I'm going to say it again. This physician in England knows. Instead of drugs to restrain warning signals – It's so
0: different than the homeopathic view.
1: It is. It is. So we're not going to use – Drugs to restrain the warning signs. We're going to use homeopathics to correct the problem that the warning signs are telling us about. So we don't believe that symptoms ought to be shut up. I'm going to say it again and again. As I mentioned earlier, taking to a deeper level of illness. Instead, remember those symptoms. Everything that Jane is experiencing are, um, are, are indicators as to how to treat the problem that, are, that are, we are intended to, to make a point of. So we want to uproot the problem so that symptoms will not be required to present and the drugs will become superfluous.
0: So did her brother help Jane?
1: Yeah, brother-in-law. Yeah. So Jane didn't favor hormone replacement methods either. Those are those bioidentical hormones, you know, that we euphemistically are calling um, um, natural, Um, but she might have halted some of her menopausal symptoms with that. There's no doubt that those drugs would have done that. But what she would have done, she would have accomplished the suspension of her ills. It would not have cured her problem.
0: And I've heard that you have a course out now called Feminopathy. So do you cover this information about the bioidentical or- hormones?
1: Yes. Yes, I do. And I'm, I'm happy you brought that course up. It's called Feminopathy, How You Can Correct Female Ailments using safe, inexpensive, and effective homeopathy. It's not that I want everyone to run and get this course, but what I do want people to do is to start thinking about learning how to do this themselves. So Anyway, let's get back to Jane. She went to the to these remedies that her brother-in-law sent along. The first remedy was Lachesis twice daily. Um, Lachesis 200 is chosen Probably because to calm Jane's heart palpitations and the angina, and it's nearly specific for women during and around menopause. Yeah, you know interestingly, it's a particularly well chosen for this particular combination of heart symptoms during menopause, laccusus two hundred taken twice daily. so, Dr. Gibson, in his studies of homeopathic remedy, says of lachesis, now remember, here's a doctor again, so for those of you who believe that I'm anti-doctor, I'm not. There are plenty of doctors out there who get all of this. He says syncopal episodes are associated, this is under the title of lachesis and how it is associated with um, the heart, uh, with cardiac pain or accompanied by nausea and vertigo. Now, she didn't have the nausea, but she did have vertigo. Um, Hard thumping palpitations, he says, are associated with the sense of tightness in the chest. The remedy is of special value in relation to the throat and affections and menopausal disorders. So now again, Jane didn't have all of these syndromes. She didn't have the throat problems, yet the remedy picture here fits in other important ways. So then he added another remedy, Ignatia 200, taken twice daily. And this is the best bet for the deep sadness Jane felt for the loss of her life as a stay-at-home mom. It has a reputation for lifting sufferers from grief and and relentless sadness. And I've written about this remedy on my blog, and I urge folks to read about it. Um, You just just use the little search bar in my blog and put in Ignatia. Just read about how valuable this remedy can be.
0: It sounds really interesting because that brings the whole emotional side in, not just physical, right. which we always associate, we always separate like mental health, physical health.
1: Right, right. So the lack is dealing with the heart issue and the hormonal issue it appears to be the, the etiology, the cause of all of this. But now we also have this emotional aspect and we give Ignatia to help with that as well. I totally agreed with her brother-in-law, by the way, it was very well chosen remedies. And later on. He added critagus, crataegus, C-R-A-T-A-E-G-U-S, Cretagus and it was a mother tincture that he gave her. Um, you know, this it's mother tincture means it's not made into homeopathic medicine, yet it's still in the gross form, um, and it's so it's a botanical. And it also covers cardiac maladies, and it's just a great remedy for any cardiac malady, and um, I believe she's taking that twice a day as well. So, there's another bit of information here that I want to read, and this is from Franz Vermulens' Concordant Materia Medica, uh, a medical homeopathic medical book. And he talks about critagus, um with valvular murmurs, angina pectoris, cardiac dropsy, which is uh, swelling, um, um, dropsy is the old word for edema, aortic disease pain in the region of the heart, under the left clavicle and under the left scapula, pulse accelerated and irregular, feeble intermittent valvular murmurs, and angina pectoris." That's the end of his quote. So that's what gives us this information as homeopaths to determine which remedies to choose. We, we use these books. We don't just pick these remedies out of the sky. We use this kind of information that's been collected through the centuries.
0: And did that help Jane get over her bathtub crying and her
1: palpitations? (laughs) Yes, her bathtub crying, yes. Yes, in a mere couple of days after Ignatia 200 and her daily routine, Jane's anxiety and sadness and depression just melted away. And then she would, you know, she started baking cookies and did something positive to send back to her daughter away at school. You know, a lot of times simple gestures will bring people back to themselves, but previously she couldn't get there. She just wasn't in that frame of mind. She was weeping and so saddened that she couldn't move forward. So by the third or fourth day of taking all the remedies, she noted that the palpitations had gone, you know, and her sleep was reestablished. And by the end of the two months had rolled around, and that's when she was supposed to Skype call with her brother-in-law, nothing that was plaguing her previously remained. Instead, she asked if he had a homeopathic remedy for weight gain, (laughs) but but that's that's the subject of another article. So what Uh that means is it finished everything. The homeopathic remedies took care of every single aspect of what she was suffering.
0: Yeah, and you said it was like four days. It was fast.
1: Yeah, it was fast, but it doesn't always act that fast. I got to tell you that, Jendi. You know, it also, again, depends on the case and the person. But to get an idea of what to look for so that you can know that the remedies you've chosen are correct and that you're moving in the right direction, I always want to tell people, our listeners, to go to our podcast titled Podcast Number 12 and Why You May Be Disillusioned with Homeopathy. So what's the upshot? Okay. The upshot is that many cases that present as a heart condition may indeed be a reaction. A symptom of something else that just necessitates our attention. You know, this means that all symptoms represent something. Hence, they should never be shut up with drugs. Sometimes it's easy to figure out what they signify, sometimes it's not. But the examination of them is worthy of our effort, particularly if we have homeopathy, to address each one of those and not just to cover them up. This is also true when we take into account that these concomitant conditions. That may appear unremarkable by ignoring them may easily might easily miss the most telling information so the importance of taking superfluous drugs that shut up the symptoms or merely silence a condition away from our bodies can't be emphasized enough it is an off- missed piece to the puzzle of not only heart disease but many other chronic conditions
0: We need to switch our thinking to look strategically and long term. Yes.
1: And from a health standpoint, our lives are simply timelines. The more time on a drug, the darker the hue of the graph. Each onslaught affects our health on some area or another. But
0: it is encouraging to know
1: that homeopathy can still help
0: someone that has a burden timeline from years of medication. Well,
1: you know, who doesn't have a burden timeline? Would it not be wise to keep the assault to a quiet murmur now from, from the time that you know this, though, instead of allowing it to get to a roaring tsunami before you start doing something about it? You know, less is more. Not when enjoying healthy saturated fats, but when considering taking a drug. And I believe in health, I want to mention that healthy saturated fats. I believe in eating saturated fats. You know, we need to remember that we save drugs, as Dr. Mendelssohn said earlier, for rare life saving emergencies, not for common ear infections, fevers, birth control pills, or birth control, I should say, eczema, menopausal shifts, or chronic conditions. But if you're on them, don't just leap off imprudently. I always tell folks, be careful. You have to seek a better way and put your life in order first and then move off of them quietly and gently. So I want to remind you that you mustn't count on the doctor, however, who prescribed the drug to offer that alternative solution. If he had one, he would have given it to you. So I suggest that people find a doctor with compatible convictions. If you have to go to a doctor, find one Who is in agreement with you, or work with a homeopath, or better yet, learn how to use homeopathy for the small potatoes, so that you don't have a bigger one to bake later. Learn to treat your family yourself, you know, for for those acutes. Learn how to really treat fever. Know how to root out eczema instead of driving it to a deeper state. Know how to address asthma yourself or with your homeopath. So. You know, as your knowledge deepens, you'll be able to take on more complex conditions, and you'll become more confident. And then you'll be able to go use such foods, uh, good foods as nourishing traditional foods and homeopathic medicine, and just be unstoppable in your resolve. It's that it, because it's important,
0: and you can learn how to do a lot of this on Joette's blog. for For our listeners, if you go to Joette Calabrese com she has written a weekly blog post for about nine years and you can go there there's a search bar in the top and you can type in what the problem is and it'll bring up a list of things to read and check out for. I've gone there many times. Um, just recently we went through a bout of fever and flu at our house and she had a free ebook download like I think it's called a chew the flu right. and I downloaded that I was
1: reading that. Yes, you, ha- but, you still have it up, right? Yeah, I, b- I believe so. I mean, things are always changing here, and I'm not the one doing it, so uh, <laughs> I yeah. have my family members uh- doing all that for me.
0: Well, you can check in the search bar on the blog, and then there's also, like, if you want more in-depth courses and you really want to study it, Joette has things, the courses you can buy, the CDs you can download to put in your car, and you can even get somebody to work with you, you know, one-on-one. Sometimes people will feel better talking to somebody, but there's there's all levers of information if you want to learn more.
1: Yeah, but, and I'm not the only one out there teaching homeopathy, to, for these everyday ills to to families and for those who are just starting take a take a look at our quick start guide on the front page of my website, so it'll help you get going. Um, on all of this. And then take advantage of every article I write on this blog. I teach how to use homeopathy instead of antibiotics. And I teach how to t- treat acne using uh, our medicines. I teach how to, not our mind, meaning that you buy the medicines from me, but, you know, for homeopathic medicines. And I teach how to address even Lyme disease and anxiety, et cetera. And it's all there for free. So take advantage of it.
0: Yeah, that's the first place I go. And, you know, I don't go to um, the over-the-counter drug shelves in the store anymore. When we're sick, I go to Joelle's. Yeah, site. well, thank
1: you, thank <laughs> you for saying that. So, yeah, there's no need to spend money here, for folks. Just, just take it all for free. It's a course in and of itself.
0: All right. Do you have any parting word for us this time?
1: No. Well, actually, not that I don't have a parting word, but the word is no. That's my parting word, and I think I've said this before, but the word is no. Say no. You can always say yes later, but start with no first. It will buy you time you know, to figure out what you need to do. It will also allow you to tuck in and figure out what needs to be done after the blush of the doctor's office has worn off. No is the most powerful word in our vocabulary. No thanks, doc. I need to give this some thought. Then run. Don't walk to your search engine and look up the side effects that will help you understand what it is you're about to take or give to your child. And the homeopathic medicine that will use can be used instead. No, not today, Doc. I need to discuss this with my husband. My rule of thumb is: don't be a good girl. Be a good mother. Be prepared to fight to the finish for your family. Don't be a compliant patient be a force. Don't accept mediocre food. Don't accept a mediocre life. In fact, don't just step outside of the box. Gain enough knowledge so that you can kick the box away.
0: Thank you so much, Joette. I know you've told us this before, but it's always good to be encouraged and hear it again. Yes. Thank you, Jandy. Thank you for listening to this podcast with Joette Calabrese. If you liked it, please share it with your friends.